So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, if you would. In the New Testament part of your Bible, you go through the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John part, and then Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Then you go eat popcorn. You know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So we're going to stop at Ephesians chapter 3. And stand with me, if you will, as we read God's word to honor the fact that it's not ours, but it's God's. For this reason, I... Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to life for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? This was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you which is your glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the people that you have called by your purpose, for your purpose, by the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this little cross-section of your church that we call Gateway Downtown. We ask that we would be faithful to you and understand what you've called us to be and do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So this this passage is part of what's known as Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It probably uh, wasn't written just to the Christians in the city of Ephesus, but also probably to the areas surrounding it. Um, But we don't need to get into that too much. We know that the area around Ephesus, though, which was in what we call Turkey today, was very cosmopolitan city, had deep religious history. Uh, the worship centered on the Greek goddess Artemis. And, and so it's a very mixed bag that, that Paul uh, came to this city and the areas surrounding it, preached the gospel, told people about this life in Jesus Christ. People were attracted to this message, began worshiping Jesus. And Paul's writing to them and trying to encourage them and strengthen them in their faith. In their faith. In their faith a little bit too. Um, and you, we get that from this letter that Paul is writing from an imprisonment. Okay? Um, he starts off by saying, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul was a prisoner at the time he was writing. Um, 
because he was in prison for telling people about Jesus. That's what he means by the fact that he was in prison for these Gentiles, because the message that Paul was teaching people was that Gentiles, and when we say Gentiles, we mean people who are not Jews. The Jews looked at the world as, hey, there are people like us, Jews, and there's people who are not like us. They're non-Jews. They're Gentiles. Or sometimes could be translated the nations. So there's our nation, and there's all the other nations. And Paul, a very Jewish man with a very Jewish background, was preaching this message that the Gentiles people of all these different races and ethnicities and backgrounds could share in this blessing. And maybe to oversimplify a little bit to get in this message, there was some people in the Jewish religion who didn't like that, um, didn't think that that was uh, in accord with God's word, and so they imprisoned him and persecuted him uh, for doing that. But he breaks this thought. He, he starts talking, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and as he writes those words, his mind is drawn off in a different direction. The fact that he's a prisoner, really because he's been proclaiming the gospel to these non-Jewish people, breaks him off on a different line of thinking that takes us into our, our passage this morning. He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Paul is saying, look, most of you have probably heard about this already. I was entrusted by God in a unique way to preach the gospel to people who were outside the Jewish nation. I've told you a little bit about that earlier in the letter. And if you know anything about the life of Paul, it was by a miraculous powerful intervention by God while he was on his way to persecute Christians himself, to imprison them, and to oversee what probably eventually resulted in their deaths. That was Paul's mission in life. His mission in life was to tear down the church, tear down Christianity, persecute Christians, kill them, imprison them, and he's on his way to do that, and God, in a miraculous act of power that you can read about three times in the book of Acts and once in the book of Galatians, God strikes him down, gets through to him, that the God that he claims to be worshiping is so different than he could possibly imagine, because it's the resurrected Jesus, who is God and Lord. And this completely changes Paul's perspective, and Christ commissions him to bring this message that there's forgiveness and salvation and restoration of a relationship with God through the work of this man and God, Jesus Christ. And so he's out proclaiming this message, and he's, he's getting in trouble for it. And he says something interesting in verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul has access to what he calls a mystery. It doesn't mean that it's mystical, doesn't mean that it's uh, crazy or confusing, but something that was surprising, that, that, that people in generations past missed, they oversaw, they couldn't see. 
it wasn't fully made aware to them. It was a little bit shocking and surprising when they realized it. And Paul says it's this. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so what Paul is saying there, just to summarize it, and we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, this message of salvation, this message that though we are rebels against God, though we have broken faith with God, we've done things that are wrong. I don't know that anyone would disagree with that. We've done things that are wrong. We've done things that displease God, and that breaks us off from fellowship with him. Though we've done that, and, and though God has right to be displeased with us, just like we would be displeased with somebody who acted as a traitor against our nation. Isn't that why so many of us are upset about that symbol of the Confederate war, uh, the Confederate army? Because they were traitorous? Just like we would have a rightful reason to be upset about somebody being treasonous and traitorous toward our nation, God has good reason to be upset about us being treasonous toward his covenant love with us. And yet, he loved us too much to leave us in that state, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to pay for the penalty of our sins, to raise to life because the penalty of our sins couldn't hold him in the grave, so that we could have access back to God, a right relationship back to God. And and in Paul's thinking, and we talked about a couple weeks ago, he calls people into the church which Paul thinks of, he pictures it as the body of Christ. Christ is the head, he's the leader, and we're the different members of that body. So we talked about that when we talked about church. And what Paul's saying, this isn't just a Jewish thing. All the nations of the world can be members of that same body and can enjoy all the riches of Christ's kingdom that is coming through the gospel through this good news that Jesus rescues sinners. And that's pretty big. That's pretty big. But he gets a little bit, goes a little bit farther here. See, in short, the mystery that Paul is talking about is that God's grace was at work to purchase a people for himself from every tribe, and tongue, and nation, that through the recognition and faithful acceptance of the good news, all people, no matter their background, could share in the riches of Jesus' salvation. In fact, God was taking all these different people from all these different parts of the world and bringing them into one body. We talk about the word race today in a biological sense, don't we? Uh, There's been a little bit of controversy about that lately. But we generally think of race in biological terms. right? If, If your DNA predominates with coding that has been recorded history, sprang from people who lived in Africa, we say you're black. And if your DNA predominates with coding that in recorded history, sprang from people who lived in Europe, we say you're Caucasian or you're white, right? And, and we, we could go on down the list. 
Um, but in the ancient world, they thought about race pretty differently than we do today. Um, what we think of biological things like skin color, hair color, those type of things, those, those played into it a little bit. Um, but they also looked at other things like language, like region, like traditions, like culture. It was a much broader concept when they used a term like race. And, and so, in a way, like we said, a first century Jew might have looked at the world as dominated by two races. Jew and non-Jew. Jew and Gentile. There was two great races. And so, for many early Christians, they looked at the world as composed of three races. Jew, Gentile, Christian. See, in their way of looking at the world, it might sound a little bit funny way of putting it because we're so conditioned to think about race like biologically and like phenotypes and I don't know, I don't know the biology stuff. But how would our society be different if we thought of Christians as a unique race? that God was wooing others to belong to. So, I mean, see, race wasn't fixed. Like, in our, in our modern way of thinking, race is a fixed thing. You're this or you're that or you're this other thing over here, right? And you're, you're born it and, and, and you stay that and you die it, right? But, but race wasn't a fixed thing. You could enter into this Christian race. And w- what a beautiful thought that, that all our biology and language and culture and tradition and habits, and patterns could be knit into one new tapestry at the cross. And it was a tapestry that was always expanding and growing and becoming more diverse with each person who placed their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know about our society, but I think it's Time for the church to reclaim that picture. Paul says in verse 7, of that gospel, that gospel that is knitting together the people of the world by faith in Jesus Christ, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. This good news, Paul said, that unites diverse people together through faith He was made a minister, literally a servant. That's literally what a minister is, it's just a servant. Paul was a servant of this great message because God chose him using an extraordinary miracle, that's what he means by the working of God's power, even though he was entirely unworthy to be a servant of such a great honor. It came to him, he says, uh, uh, to me, Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. The least of all the saints. Saints are just Christians. There's no deeper meaning to saints in the the biblical sense. The reason he says is that because before he became a Christian, he tried to imprison and kill other Christians, and he knew full well how unworthy he was to be called for that task. And what was that task? And this is where it gets good. This is where I want to center us this morning. He says, to preach to the Gentiles 
the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Paul was going to preach how beautiful and how rich is Christ and to tell everyone about this wonderful thing God is doing in creating this new people. This is what he's saying. He wants to tell everyone in the world, all the nations, that's the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Think about that for a second. I mean, we pass over a word, unsearchable. I mean, you could search them, and you would never find the end. That, the riches of Christ are never-ending. If you could stretch them out, they would be like that line we talked about. They stretch all the way as far as you can see one direction and as far as you can see another direction. That's the treasures that are in Jesus Christ. And he's telling this to everyone who will listen, wherever he goes in the world, whether he was in Turkey, or whether he was in Greece, or whether he was in Macedonia, or whether he was in Italy, or whether he was in Crete, or whether he was in Malta, or whether he might have even gotten to Spain. Wherever he went, he was telling the people of the world about the immense riches that were available to them in the salvation and the inheritance and the eternal life of Christ Jesus. And to show to them, to make it clear to everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in the God who created of all things. So this plan of God has been there since eternity. This is not like something that just sprung on God. He just thought of this all of a sudden around A.D. 30. It wasn't something he just came up with. He had been waiting all of eternity past to bring this revelation to the world. Why? So that through the church, verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is what God's vision is for the church. God's vision for the church stretches so far beyond our little planet and our little country and our little city and our little trivial feuds and fights. He's big and he cares about every detail of it. Don't don't mistake that. But what he is up to is so much bigger than that. It will absolutely blow our minds. We cannot even possibly get our heads around it. You might scream. That he is, through the church, revealing his manifold wisdom, his multifaceted, variegated, this awesomeness of all the depths of his wisdom and insight and understanding his mental prowess as the infinite God of the universe. He is putting it on display through this thing called the church so that all the heavens, all the cosmos, all the angelic beings, all the demonic creatures, every power and authority that ever was made Everything that you see and everything you don't see that's ever been touched by the finger of God will look at him and say, Wow. 
He's doing that through this church. This church that is made up of all the people that have been purchased by the blood of Christ, have been drawn to him by the Spirit, and have fallen in faith to worship Jesus Christ. These people that God has gathered together and called the body of Christ, the family of God, his sons and daughters, his church. This is something so much bigger, isn't it? Than what we see, I mean, we, we look outside and we you know sometimes we're so focused, but I got to get up, I got to get breakfast, and I got to get to work, and this project is coming up, it's, it's due in two weeks, and, you know, the other guy at work hasn't pulled his weight, and, you know, we're, we're so worried about these little things that are going on in life, and it's not that any of them are unimportant, but when you put them in the line of eternity, and what God is doing on this grand scale, They sort of fade a little bit, don't they? I've been, I've been talking to, to some people, and this is, this is pathetic still, but I've been talking to some of you guys about what is Gateway going to look like in 100 years. Because we have such a, 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 an immediate reaction, like there's this crisis right now. There's this big problem right now, and, and we've got to solve this. The, the TVs aren't working, you know, or, um, it, you know, you know what, there, there's not enough people in the growth groups, or there's, you know, the, all these things are real things, and we want to talk about them, you know, and we want to make sure that we, we get our membership right, that we, we're treating everyone where right, we're showing people love and we're showing people the gospel, and we want to make sure we follow policies and procedures and have elders in place the right way, and, you know, we want to make sure we have vision, we want to make sure we have mission, and we want to make sure we have core values, and we want to make sure that all the problems go away and that only good stuff happens. Yeah, all that stuff. But, but we get caught up so much in the details of what's today and what's tomorrow and what's next week. What are we going to be in 100 years? I think we, we sometimes lose that perspective. And I say that's pathetic because you can take that 100 years and put that on the timeline of eternity, and that's still a blip. That is still nothing. That is still less than nothing. Right? The, all the years that we have on this life are nothing compared to the years that we have on the other side of our grave. Right? Or 20, 30, 50, 60 years. But... But just to stretch us a little bit, think about what will Gateway be in 100 years? In 2115, what will Gateway be? Where will Gateway be? How will we be serving the city? How will we be living in community? How will we be loving God in 100 years? And while that pales in comparison to eternity, maybe it starts to get us to think a little bit more than what our immediate circumstances are, because God is a God who is at work through history. He is bringing things, he is orchestrating all of history together by his powerful hand. Romans 8 says that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. How can he possibly do that unless he is sovereignly moving the swath of history toward his ends? 
miss. And so you see, what, what God has called his church into is something so much bigger than our politics, so much bigger than our nine-to-five jobs or our ten-to-five jobs if we work overnight, so much bigger than you know, the petty discussions of our neighbors and the, the, the fight you know, between apartment 2A and 2B, and so much bigger than that. He's doing nothing less than revealing his glory and his goodness and his greatness to all of creation. And he's doing that in no small part through his church. And we, Gateway Church downtown, get to be a part of that. We are a small cross-section of the millions, hundreds of millions, maybe billions of people on this earth who are worshiping this creator together. And even more so the billions that have gone before us and died, but we know that they yet live through the resurrected Jesus Christ. And we share with them in what God is doing since eternity past into eternity future. That's Vision with a big V. That's mission with a big M. And as we, our elders here, and, and as we have those discussions with, with all of you about what does our vision look like at Gateway and what does our mission look like at Gateway, it's just going to be a small slice of verse 10 at the end of the day so that through the church, so that through Gateway church downtown in some small way the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places because this was according to the eternal purpose, the eternal unchanging purpose of God that was fully realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. All of history moving toward the cross of Jesus Christ and spring out from the cross of Jesus Christ again. God's plan in many ways reached its culmination in the cross of Jesus Christ. Sure, we know that Christ is returning. We know that Christ will recreate the heavens and the earth. We know that he will rule in a glorious kingdom. But the stage has been set. The pieces are in place. The play has been written at the cross where he died and purchased worshipers for himself. In Jesus Christ, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. What Paul is saying here is that because of what Jesus Christ did for each one of us strange people, strange in the best sense of the word, that none of us look alike, none of us act alike, none of us talk alike, none of us have the same habits or customs, but all of us strangers that God is knitting together in this tapestry have access 
to God himself. Because though we were separated from him by our rebellious actions, we have been brought near to him by the blood of Jesus Christ. If, as he says, we place our faith in him. And then Paul closes with this almost throwaway line, but it's not. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Here's Paul in prison for this message about Jesus Christ, this message of hope, this message of restoration. He is literally imprisoned for this message, something most of us can't even fathom happening to us, literally imprisoned for this message, and he says, I ask you not to lose heart. You see, for Paul, this imprisonment, whether it lasted in two days or two years or 20 years, was a blip on that line of eternity. And so why would you lose heart? It is a small little blip that God is using to orchestrate an enormous and expansive plan to make everything in the created order bow before him and say, wow. He says, so my imprisonment, my beatings, my tortures, they're nothing. And we can take heart and take perspective in our world when we, we see things that we don't like happening in our world. When things aren't happening the way we want them to happen in our world, or if things aren't happening the way I want them to happen to me, we can take heart because they are they're blips in the line of eternity that's moving toward God's grand purpose. When things happen that, that we think are fantastic and we think they're wonderful and we think they're special, and that's great too, but remember that they are only a small part of what is moving toward an awesome end that is bigger than we can possibly imagine. Don't lose heart over what you're suffering for you. And, and so certainly don't go overboard in the joys and the little fleeting joys of our world that is fading away. Because it's for your glory. Because we know that in Christ returns that we will share in his glory will share in his goodness as we can worship God like we were created to worship God in the beginning. Personally, relationally, in close connection, in the very presence of our maker. So when we talk about what the church is here for, I want to talk about it in terms of God's great vision. And God's great vision is that he is building a church. He is sending out messengers of which all of us who claim faith in Christ are those messengers. And we're seeking out this diverse, unique, strange people to be called into this new race of Christians, this new people this new church 
for the sake of his glory, which we get to share in. That's what we're here for. And so Brian will talk next week about the where we're going to carry out that mission. And as we get into some of the things going into July and July 19th and the members meeting, some of the things after that, we'll talk about, okay, what does Gateway's slice of that look like? But let's not lose sight of what God is working in our history today. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes, open our minds to get a glimpse of what you are up to. I confess, God, that so often I lose sight of it, that I forget the bigness and the grandness of your plan. I suspect that many of us do. Open us up to see your greatness, to see your goodness, to be blown away by the depth of your plan and to say when we look at you, wow, Help us to have a a holy perspective on this life, that that we would never disengage from our world and the needs from this world, but that we would always still keep them in the perspective of your eternity. Help us to find that balance of a God who loves every detail of his creation and whose eye is on the sparrow and yet is orchestrating everything in accordance with his eternal purpose. Help us to follow and trust a God who is that big and yet that close. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.